Relaxing COVID border rules. Something our industry has been asking for for a long, long time. Ottawa hints changes are on the way. Bear spray confrontation caught on camera. My employees shouldn't have to be scared to come here. Burnaby business owners at their wits end, wondering what's happened to their neighborhood. And jamming with Paul Schaefer. Oh girl, I'd be in trouble if you leave me now. Late night's original music man in Vancouver to hit the stage with the VSO. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The federal government is hinting today it could soon lift the mandatory COVID-19 testing requirement for fully vaccinated travelers. Welcome news for the struggling tourism sector. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, the devil will be in the details. Planes still leaving YVR. But testing requirements have meant some Canadians have been holding off on travel. For weeks now, the Canadian tourism industry has been pleading with Ottawa for a rethink on the rules. At the bare minimum, stopping PCR testing. We're the only G7 nation that, that requires PCR testing as part of their, their entry. We have to really fundamentally think about what the point of testing is for travellers. The current Omicron wave appears to have crested. Cases are down significantly across the country. The health minister Friday announcing changes are coming. The signaling from the federal government appears to be tied to PCR testing for arrivals. While truck convoy protesters might claim victory in forcing Ottawa's hand, the prime minister making it clear what won't be included. Mandatory vaccination for everyone traveling or crossing the border isn't ending. I think it's extremely important to emphasize that all the decisions we take will be based in science and indeed um, will be focused on Canadians getting uh, their lives back to normal. BC's travel industry welcoming the news. Clarity from the federal government opens the door for businesses to market to international visitors and honour reservations already made. The concern will be staffing for a spring surge of travellers. We don't have enough people to fill all of the positions that are currently open in the province. But at the same time, I think businesses are anxious to resume. They want to ramp back up to full capacity. There are still questions that need to be answered, primarily timing. At this point, it remains unclear if molecular testing will be lifted by spring break. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And it's expected some restrictions in B.C. will be eased in the coming week. But again, businesses anxious to get back to normal are calling for more clarity on the plan. Richard Zussman has more. Historically, this is a winter weekend for bars and pubs across B.C. But with pandemic restrictions very much still in place, this Super Bowl is anything but super for the sector. So it's going to become just a regular day instead of the kind of celebrations that we would normally want it to be. The hope is not only will this be the last Super Bowl under capacity and COVID restrictions, but potentially the last major event. With St. Patrick's Day coming, the sector is searching for clarity. The sooner we find out, the better. Uh, I know that we're not going to get a lot of advance notice. We never have throughout the pandemic. But on the 16th, we really need to hear if we're not able to lessen protocols, then what is the right path forward for it? Because we've got to make some plans and we cannot plan in this environment. 
Dr. Bonnie Henry will be announcing some easing next week, but only indicating things were changing, not what was changing. The pandemic has caused long-term impacts as well, including drop-off in business to downtown cores with people working from home. Everyone is having the same discussion. What does the economy look like post-pandemic? And how do communities and governments and businesses ensure that they're resilient for any future uh, changes that may come? Restaurants, bars, wedding planners, event venues. They've all been wondering why has Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba already laid out reopening plans and BC hasn't. We need to have some clear direction uh, out of government and they can't always hide behind Bonnie Henry. They have a responsibility as political leaders too to also uh, read the room. The message from the room is the pandemic has crippled business and those businesses have done everything possible to operate safely. Folks don't understand what else we possibly could do. Uh, it has been safe to drink out and dine out in BC throughout the pandemic. We've used the protocols to keep customers safe. There's no cases coming from the hospitality industry. So folks are asking, if not now, when can we get reopened? A question that will finally get an answer, perhaps for good, next week. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. We are seeing a slow decline in hospital numbers. There are now currently... 846 patients, 136 of them in the ICU. Meantime, 17 more deaths have been recorded and we have confirmation of 1,245 new cases in our province. Keith Baldry is here with a look at some of the other important COVID indicators mm -hmm. and what they reveal about the direction we're hopefully heading in, Keith. Yeah, when you look at the numbers from day to day, it tells a different story than if you look at what the trends are over the course of a week. And the trends are start starting to be a little positive and are again pointing to the, the reasons for reopening and re uh, easing restrictions rather than keeping them in place. And one of the big factors is the positivity rate. The test positivity rate is now at 16.1% province-wide. That's down two and a half percentage points in a week. Even more important, in the most populated area of the province, Metro Vancouver, it's 11% down, almost four percentage points in the space of week and daily hospitalizations are dropping still a lot but gone from somewhere in the 90s 95 day we're now in the 80s and again it's looking very positive when it comes to the uh, dwindling positivity rates and lower numbers in hospitals it's not all good news Sophie the north and parts of the north and parts of Vancouver Island the positivity rate in those areas remain very high around 30 percent so again though I think the door is being opened to see Dr. Bonnie Henry ease those restrictions at her Tuesday briefing. All right, everyone will be uh, anticipating something on Tuesday then. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, a new survey shows changing attitudes towards government pandemic policies. As Paul Johnson reports, while the majority of Canadians still support COVID-19 restrictions, there is growing support for lifting all of them. About the time that the first of the truckers were tanking up on diesel and heading east, a long-standing pattern on opinions about the public health orders was also on the move. On Monday, we received some poll results that really shocked me because it marked a, a, a big change in the way that Canadians view the pandemic and the restrictions that are in place. Since the pandemic began, veteran pollster Steve Mossop's been running an ongoing survey measuring where Canadians are at with it all. The numbers were fairly stable for a long while until the trend started to get bucked last month. The number of Canadians who think that the restrictions should be lifted completely tomorrow, that number has climbed to its highest level ever at 32%. 
from just a short month ago when it was at 20%. And the poll found the majority still support most of the public health orders. But it's a declining majority, and the growth appears to be with those calling for an end. Now, if you're a trucker supporter and you're pointing at the screen right now as proof of victory, not so fast. The vast majority of people have experienced have actual experience with COVID in the past 60 days. And of that group, we found that two-thirds feel that the symptoms were next to nothing. With the Omicron wave having recently infected so many more Canadians, Mossop suspects that's been a major driver in opinion change. So a big question is how much of the trucker movement has been coincidental with the opinion shift as opposed to causing it. We're all tired of COVID and the restrictions, but if you open it up too soon, we're just going to get right back into another pandemic. I definitely think they should change. Like, there's no reason to have mandates for everything. If it's a mandate, I'm against it. Many wanted to talk privately, but few on the record. Writ large. That's the kind of situation that can lead to a country being misread by its leaders. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Meantime, Ontario's premier has called a state of emergency following days of blockades at the country's largest border crossing. The move is being applauded by federal officials who are asking protesters to go home as police forces expect demonstrations across the country to ramp up this weekend. Global's Kyle Benning has more. While those in the convoy prepare for another weekend on Parliament Hill and at the border in Windsor, lawmakers are also putting their own plans in place. That includes Ontario being put under a state of emergency. The occupiers in Ottawa, they are not listening. The trade problems that we would see if we didn't clear the Ambassador Bridge would be unprecedented. It's been two weeks since the first wave of protesters reached the capital. Ipsos polling done exclusively for Global News found nearly half of Canadians say they don't agree with the protest's message, but have sympathy for the legitimate frustrations brought on by the pandemic. When it comes to how Canadians feel about people in the protest, 6 in 10 believe it is mostly a group of anti-vaxxers and bigots looking to cause mayhem, and they should not be allowed to protest. Most also think the protest is an attack on democracy. Justin Trudeau echoing that Canadians sympathize with pandemic fatigue. But at the same time, as a government, we made a promise to Canadians to have their backs every step of the way for as long as it takes. Police forces across the country are preparing for protests to ramp up this weekend. Toronto's police chief says a peaceful demonstration will be allowed to take place in that city, but he draws the line at an occupation. We're going to help them leave. And what does that mean? Well, we've put, we've, as, we have assets in place to make sure if people are, uh, if vehicles are engaged and they're, they're, they're not moving, we're going to move them out of the way. Measures from the state of emergency mean unlawful protesters can also face fines up to $100,000 and a year behind bars. Kyle Benning, Global News. Well, the founder of Orange Shirt Day is condemning the appropriation of that symbol by members of the so-called Freedom Convoy protests. Orange Shirt Day founder Phyllis Webstad has released a statement saying the only Orange Shirt Day is September 30th. And the meaning of both the day and the shirts is an observation of the impact of residential schools in Canada. That statement comes after some convoy organizers asked people to wear orange shirts today 
as a symbol of their support of the blockades. Young students spot a dangerous weapon on school property. How they discovered a gun on the grounds when the RCMP missed it. That's next on the news hour. No one could hear me scream. No one knew where I was. Every day was just terrifying. Survival story. Bear Henry recounts their 74-day ordeal lost in the woods on Vancouver Island. That's later. Plus. Perhaps they, they instilled that love by exposing me to, to recorded music really early. Squire Barnes sits down with legendary musician and good Canadian boy Paul Schaefer. His remarkable career and how he got to work with so many stars later. Right now, though, the RCMP are admitting they failed to complete their ground search following a double shooting in Surrey. The admission comes after children at an elementary school found a gun on school grounds yesterday. Catherine Urquhart reports. Children at Bothwell Elementary School were outside working on a nature assignment. It was a typical Thursday. That is, until a primary student discovered a gun on the property. What if it was loaded and the ch it, children were playing with it? Then there'd be another shooting. Surrey School District told Global News a class was outside looking for twigs for a project when one student discovered what appeared to be a handgun. The principal immediately sent the students inside and called the appropriate authorities. On Tuesday, only a few blocks away, a man and a woman were shot, discovered inside a vehicle. The man later died. Police aren't saying if the gun is connected to that shooting, nor will they say if the gun was loaded. The firearm that was located on the school grounds has been seized by police and will undergo uh, mechanical as well as forensic examinations. At that point in time, we will be able to determine whether or not it was loaded. IHIT, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, told Global News that after the shooting this week, the school was on the outer perimeter of the areas for the ground search, and search teams had not reached there by the time it was located by the students. I can't imagine the tragedy that could have occurred as a result of a child getting their hands on a loaded gun, if indeed it was loaded. Surrey Mounties say their youth unit and victim services are now offering support to students and staff at Bothwell Elementary. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Homicide investigators are identifying the man who was found dead in Langley on Thursday. IHIT says a 57-year-old Sarbjeet Sunder was discovered by officers in the 1700 block of 224th Street early Thursday morning after police received reports of a man down in the area. Police believe Sunder did not have any gang ties, but his death does not appear to be random. Investigators are seeking dash cam footage from anyone who was on 224th between 16th and 40th Avenue between 11 p.m. Wednesday night and 1.30 a.m. on Thursday morning. Well, no arrests have been made in Thursday night's stabbing that has left a 66-year-old man in hospital with life-threatening injuries. It happened at around 8.15 p.m. at a strip mall on Schoolhouse Street near Lougheed Highway. Witnesses tell Global News a young man ran into a restaurant covered in blood and asked someone to call 911. At this point, that man's relationship to the victim is unknown. Coquitlam RCMP have said this appears to be an isolated incident but are releasing few other details. A cyclist struck at a notorious intersection. 
I hit the trailer and went catapulting through the air and then landed on concrete, asphalt, and then onto the grass. How the woman who came to his aid was all too familiar with the crosswalk's tragic track record. Plus, neighborhood nuisance, business owners fed up with growing crime in their community. An absolute gong show is really the only term to use for the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge at the moment after clearing multiple earlier problems north and south, seeing huge delays still on Highway 1 westbound out of Burnaby on the approach and Highway 1 eastbound out of North Vancouver's backup solid from Westview Drive. Sussex Insurance are your community auto plan experts. For questions about recent ICBC changes or to find a location near you, find sussexinsurance.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. A Burnaby business owner says a disturbing encounter caught on video that left him and an employee bear sprayed is the latest example of the deterioration of his neighborhood. Rumina Dea reports. The suspect enters the store. Immediately, the verbal assault begins, says Scott Redlack. He started mouthing off, calling me derogatory names. He called me a, f- a goof, a loser. Redlack, the owner of Burnaby Grills, a barbecue business, says the man was upset because he took a picture of him allegedly doing a drug deal steps away from his shop. Moments later, Redlack says he was bear sprayed twice. But now I'm really mad, and now I know why they call it bear spray, because I felt like when I was so pissed off, I went back out after him, okay? And that's when he nailed me right in the face with it completely with, with the whole can. And actually chased me back into the building where you'll see it all over the walls and managed to get my employee as well. Redlack is not the only one. Break-ins, smashed windows, stolen batteries from vehicles. We spoke to multiple businesses who told us they are fed up with the crime on this street. They did not want to go on camera because they fear retaliation. Disheartening, frustrating. You just, at the end of the day, you start asking yourself, why the heck do we even try? My employees shouldn't have to be scared to come here, right? I can't be here to protect them all the time. Business owners tell us there's a chronic house at issue on their block, and they want it shut down. Burnaby RCMP are still investigating the bear spray attack, but they confirm they were looking for a suspect with 52 convictions, which led them to 7257 Randolph Avenue, where they executed a warrant for theft earlier this week. Mounties say the home is well known and frequented by drug users and property crime offenders. Sometimes it just feels really hopeless. Like you can't do a damn thing about it. Thousands of dollars in security expenses and repairs. Petrified employees. Business owners have written to the city pleading for help. I don't know where it's going to end, but I don't think it's going to end well if we keep allowing these people living wildly in the streets and attacking innocent people. Romina Dea, Global News. When a cyclist was struck by a vehicle on Monday in a Saanich intersection, it was fresh trauma for the first person to rush to the scene to help. The crash happened two months to the day Crystal Bork's 16-year-old son, Cadence, was struck and killed in the same crosswalk. Kylie Stanton reports. 
A broken ankle, cuts and bruises. Yeah, it's the best case scenario. Despite these injuries, Paulo Callahan considers himself lucky. It could have been way worse. The avid cyclist was commuting home from work this past Monday when he was struck by the trailer on a vehicle. Went catapulting through the air and then landed on concrete, asphalt and then onto the grass. When he came to, he was being comforted by a woman first on scene kind of stroking my forehead and just speaking really calmly to me and telling me to, you know, I'm, I'm safe, stay calm. But soon enough, the tables would turn. O'Callaghan would feel the need to comfort her. I noticed she was crying as well. I thought she had tears and I said to her, why are you crying? You know, I thought, oh my goodness, have I got an injury that I haven't recognised yet? And then she told me who she was. <laughs> it was Crystal Bork the mother of 16-year-old Cadence, who was struck in the same spot as O'Callaghan exactly two months earlier. Cadence did not survive. I was well aware of what happened to her son. I go through the crosswalk constantly. And it was really emotional that she was giving me care when she was probably in, in, in bits as well because of what was happening. It must have been a terrible flashback for her. In a statement, Crystal describes the trauma and heartbreak she's experienced. Having to relive it all over again, she says, I was left sobbing uncontrollably and shaking. My stress skyrocketed. Please, something needs to be done now. Everyone is someone's child, and I don't want any mother to go through what I am. Really, a sidewalk should be right about there. With flowers left in honor of Cadence still fresh, residents have had enough. These are not accidents. These are just inevitabilities because of the way it's designed. But the mayor says the investigation into Cadence's death is still ongoing. Council can't make any moves until it has the necessary information. I'm just so sorry this has happened and we're doing everything we can to address it in the way that will bring the correct solutions. Can't wait to get back on my bike. O'Callaghan has no hesitation about getting back on the road. But for now, it's the road to recovery. He can only hope something will be done in the meantime, so no one else will be hurt or worse, killed. Something that needs to be done now to make everyone feel safer. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. Up next, bear in the backcountry. You know, I'm like, please, dear God, I've been walking for two days. How they survived lost in the woods for more than two months. Plus, one year after a tugboat tragedy, loved ones of the victims call for change. Not a good evening commute for southbound traffic over here at the Knight Street Bridge. A three-car crash has all but one lane blocked trying to get out of Vancouver. As a result, the lineup starts at 49th Avenue on the approach to the Knight Street Bridge. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Knight Street Bridge. It's an incredible story of survival. Bear Henry, the 37-year-old from Vancouver Island who was lost in the woods on the island for 74 days until being found by loggers earlier this week. Today, Henry talked about their terrifying ordeal. It took me 15 hours to walk to the top of the Kaikus Road. That's, that's what I was able to calculate. And they, even the two guys from Gemini Fallers, they literally got cleared to leave early. And the guy was like, yeah, I thought you were a tree. And then, like, I ran. I ran so fast, so hard and pleaded, dear God, give me a ride out of here. And then I thought, dear God, what month is it? And when they told me, I was like, I've been out here for 74 days? How did I survive this? My Uncle James taught me how to survive. 
As much as I didn't know it as a kid, anything he taught me, it came back in those moments. Like, know when to rest, know your limits. Know when to ration. Know how, like, to have little sips. Just fall, like, like, see if you can find sun. Learn the time from that. Engage that. Renewed calls for better safety measures for marine workers. One year to the day since a tugboat sinking off B.C.'s coast claimed the lives of two men. As the Madagahi reports, the families of the two crew members who perished say we need to learn from this tragedy so their deaths will not be in vain. <laughs> the sun was shining bright on Genevieve Craig Friday morning as she set out to Cypress Mountain on a truly important day. There was many things that Charlie loved to do and skiing was one of them. A year has passed since she heard the news that her life was changed. You try and find strength in, in your everyday. It's been really hard to have this year without Charlie. Charlie Craig, a 25-year-old with dreams of working on the Coast Guard. No stranger to water, but inexperienced on a tugboat. It was actually his very first day on the job, staffing the Injanika. It was a massive storm. It was probably one of the biggest um, Arctic storms that we've had in many, many years. Judy Carlick Pearson's husband, Troy, was the captain. She says he did not want to take off that day. The conditions were against them from the start. The icy spray in minus 15, minus 20 conditions. Everybody in the coast knew that that vessel was in trouble that night if it was going to leave. The small tug set to haul a very heavy barge from Kitimat to Kamano, instead capsized and sank into the frigid waters of Gardner Canal. Pearson and Craig died in the accident, while a 19-year-old first mate survived. We will never be the same. Uh, I'll never, never be the same. My son will never be the same. A year removed and the RCMP and Transport Canada investigations are still pending results. The families feel they have paid the ultimate price for an industry's bad actors and out-of-date regulations. I'd like to see accountability. And change in the way small tugboats off the coast of BC are inspected, staffed and operated. A year ago, Genevieve Craig knew nothing about tugboats. She may now be one of the biggest advocates for their safe operation. He can't have died for nothing. Um, this is part of his legacy. Emadagahi, Global News. Disappointing news for parents of children under the age of five who are waiting to get their kids vaccinated. Pfizer-BioNTech has announced it is delaying its request for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to authorize its COVID-19 vaccine for children between the ages of six months and four years. The company says it's waiting for more data on the effectiveness of a third dose and doesn't expect to have that until early April. Back in December, Pfizer said two doses didn't generate a strong enough immune response in children under five. And they believe a third dose might provide a higher level of protection. The company had not yet applied to Health Canada for approval. Still to come, Late Night's original music man. Dave he was so supportive of me. Squire sits I, down okay, with Paul Schaefer and finds out what it was like to lead the world's most dangerous band. And later in sports, will the Year of the Tiger live up to its name? Or will the Rams run away with it? Super Bowl weekend is finally here. 
You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A major enforcement mission this week on the waters of Boundary Bay near White Rock, taking on a stubborn problem. A coordinated assault by a number of fisheries officers has been on the water all week with the help of a Coast Guard hovercraft looking for illegal crab traps. This area is notorious for illegal traps and for so-called ghost traps, which are lost or abandoned, but still catch crabs. Uh, the crab gear we're looking for is set on what we call ground lines, so they're on the ocean floor. They're not marked, so we don't know where they are, so we have to drag for them. Uh, we're using uh, uh, this year for the first time some specialized side scan sonar to try and identify where the gear is. Officials say the illegal traps are usually laid and pulled up under the cover of darkness. And they rely on the public to alert them when they see anything suspicious. They say if they can't catch the illegal trappers, they're at least penalizing them by seizing their expensive equipment. All right. Let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at the forecast. Dark now, but boy, it was so nice to see all that sunshine today, Christy. Oh, it was a lovely end of the week, that's for sure, Sophie. And we're headed into a terrific weekend. Happy Friday to everyone, by the way. We'll start things off with a quick warning in case you missed this yesterday. Avalanche Canada putting out a warning, extending it right through until the end of sad, uh, sorry Sunday because a lot of people will be getting out into the backcountry. So an avalanche warning for all these areas highlighted that you can see uh, because there is a weak layer that they're very concerned about uh, because that could cause some significant avalanches. I'm going to turn to some of your photos. This is Sugar Lake. That's Cheryl in the photo there. And Lauren Smith took the photo. Basically, the lake was a lot higher when the ice froze and then it receded. And you can see these incredible ice heaves. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, uh, Cheryl and Lauren, for that. And you can see the fog or the valley cloud off in the distance in this shot from Terrace. That is the potential as we head into the next couple of days with this upper level ridge. I am expecting, though, most areas to be able to enjoy sunshine by the afternoon, that fog not expected to linger very long and that's the case really across the south coast we're really not expecting much Matt, patchy fog and that would be about it now on sunday we certainly could see some cloud cover it's not going to be straight sunshine but it will be bright sophie it will be dry and if we do see that cloud it will be sort of a high level cloud so again valley cloud possibly and through the morning breaking out of it in the afternoon south coast patchy fog possible but breaking out of it certainly throughout the early morning hours with highs ranging from 9 to 12 degrees. It will feel so nice. We're expecting similar conditions on Sunday, although a little bit more cloud. And then Monday, Valentine's Day, unfortunately, we are expecting periods of rain. Tonight's center windows when the weather window comes to you from Terrace. And this is a shot of a frozen puddle. And I really like this shot. Very artistic. So thank you to mm -hmm. Joanne for that one. Cool picture. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. Squire is here now. Before we talk about what's coming up in sports, you met some late night talk show royalty. Oh, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Canadian royalty as well. Paul Schaefer of Thunder Bay, Ontario, and also Toronto as well. Uh, we all know who he is. Saturday Night Live, The David Letterman Show, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Director, it goes on and on. And he's in town for a show tonight at the VSO at 8 o'clock and also with the VSO tomorrow at the Orpheum at 8 o'clock. We are very happy that he gave us some time to uh, talk with him today. He is a Grammy Award winner. He is our musical director and, most importantly, a good friend, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Schaefer. Come on over. 
If you think of pop culture as a hurricane, then Paul Schaefer has been standing in the eye of it for 50 years, which is something he never dreamed of while he was learning to play piano at his parents' home in Thunder Bay. This killed me as a kid, you know. <laughs> Up in uh, Thunder Bay, one just didn't think that it was possible to go into showbiz. It's too far-fetched, you know. But it wasn't far-fetched for him. Working in a Toronto stage production of Godspell, which included lifelong friends Martin Short and Eugene Levy, Paul Schaefer ended up on a new show called Saturday Night Live as part of the band and sometimes part of the skits. Okay, Polly, you ready to play a little bit of music? No. Now, I, <laughs> this is the Nick Winter Show, and I do the entertaining. Thank you. But it was a 33-year run alongside David Letterman as his band leader and sidekick that made him a household name. He was so supportive of me, uh, just encouraging me. You can do it, you know, and you can do anything. He once said to me, I don't care if I have a guest on. If you have something you want to contribute, throw it in. What boss would say that? You know, so it was a, really a great position to be in. Yeah, and you guys are still great friends. Yes, we are. Yeah. Talk all the time. Yeah. Of course, music is his first love. Paul Schaefer has played alongside just about every famous musician you can think of. And if there's a piano nearby, big audience or small audience, he'll probably play it. Oh, girl, I'd be in trouble if you leave me now. I don't know to look for love, and I know I don't know how. His shows with the VSO will include Motown legendary singer Valerie Simpson playing Paul's favorite playlist. It's just me doing all my favorites. Nobody told me, you can't play that. No, don't, you know, I just got to put together all my favorite stuff, and it's just, every song just makes me happy. Love that guy. When I asked him, can you play 30 seconds of something, he said, do you have any requests? And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> wow, I get to request a song done by Paul Schaefer. And then he put you on the spot there, didn't he? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But you came up with a good one. Anyway, so um, tonight at uh, the Orpheum 8 o'clock, if you can't make that one, tomorrow at the Orpheum 8 o'clock with the VSO, Valerie Simpson. It's a great show. I'm sure it will be. All right, uh, and of course, you have sports coming up as well. Yes, there's also another show tomorrow in town. The Canucks facing the NHL's, well, one of the NHL's best tomorrow. The uh, Maple Leafs will be at Rogers Arena. Oh, I mean, we're looking forward to the challenge of playing arguably one of the top four teams in the NHL. That's an extreme close-up of Bruce Boudreaux. This will not be easy, but the Canucks might get some help in the blue line in the form of Travis Hamannick. And later, satellite debris, Super Bowl style. So I'll be seeing some Leafs jerseys tomorrow, will I? You will, but I'm not sure you'll see as many. I mean, they might be on the streets, but they True. may not be able to get into the arena, True. not like they used to. Uh, the Canucks do host the uh, Maple Leafs. It's a 4 o'clock start, so it's 7 back there. Uh, and because of COVID restrictions, I'm guessing not as many Toronto fans with their jerseys on will get inside Rogers Arena like they usually do. But there's a chance that Travis Hamannick will get inside the building and play for the Canucks for the first time since suffering a uh, lower body injury back against the Bruins on December 8th. 
and he is heading to the room. Uh, he's going to be a game time decision for tomorrow. Um, definitely be able to play next week, but uh, game time decision for tomorrow. Phoenix Open, big crowd on hand, second round. And how about Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford? Another good day. This is a birdie putt. Shot three under 68. He's eight under after two rounds. He's tied for fifth. He is four shots off the lead. Now his buddy from Abbotsford, Nick Taylor. A display of power on the 17th. This is with a three wood, not a driver. 337 yards. Drove the par four. Had a shot at Eagle, got it up to the top tier as well. Missed the Eagle putt, got a birdie, but then unfortunately he fell apart on the back nine and didn't make the cut, and neither did Roger Sloan of Merritt. Let's see what Felix Oje Aliassim is doing in Rotterdam, taking on Cam Norrie of Great Britain. Felix won the first set, 7-5. That's delightful, you've got to say. And he would win the second set with a nice running forehand here, right down the line. Oh no, Cam, that's not gonna get Felix. He can get to that and he can score on you. Tie break in the second set. Felix comes to the net, puts it away, wins at 7-5, 7-6. He'll take on Andre Rublev in the semifinals tomorrow. Let's see what's happening with the medals at the uh, Winter Games, Canada. Sitting at 12, should mention our women won 11-0 over Sweden in women's uh, hockey. I guess if it's our women, it would be women's hockey. Quarterfinals, so we're in the semifinals now. We'll win a medal in that for sure. Okay, so while a lot of people thought the L.A. Rams were a Super Bowl contender, not many thought the Cincinnati Bengals were even a playoff contender this season. But they are in Sunday's Super Bowl against the Rams, and these two teams are fairly closely matched. Oddly enough, this is strange. They both scored the same amount of points in the regular season. They each scored 460. I'm not sure if that's ever happened before in a Super Bowl matchup. They're, of course, led by quarterbacks who were both top prospects when they were drafted. The Bengals' Joe Burrow and the Rams' Matthew Stafford. They're down and one. Stafford, end zone cut. Got it. Touchdown, Rams. If good things come to those who wait, then Matthew Stafford is due for some good. Now in his 13th NFL season, Stafford had never even won a playoff game before this year. He was 0-3. Of course, his first 12 seasons were spent with the mostly awful Detroit Lions. But after a blockbuster trade landed him in L.A., Stafford has shown he can win the big one if he's got the proper support staff. A fact not lost on his counterpart this week, the Bengals' Joe Burrow. You know, he didn't always get the credit that he deserved for, for what he was doing. He's been one of the best players in this league his entire career. And just because they didn't have the... The team success in the playoffs, I think, you know, kind of overshadowed what he was doing as a player. Like Stafford, Burrow was a number one overall pick. That was just two years ago. Unlike Stafford, Burrow's had instant playoff success, leading the Bengals to impressive last-second road wins in Tennessee and Kansas City. He's just got that knack to deliver big plays at the most crucial points of the game. It's like I'll go out there and run. A whole different route and he'll know it like basically he'll be telling me that in his head while i'm running the route it's so crazy that the, that the connection is, is that is that that strong you know so that's i think the biggest um tool with with me and joe 
The Rams are currently four-point favorites on Sunday, but over the years, quarterbacks named Joe have a 7-2 record in the Super Bowl, with the likes of Joe Montana and Joe Namath leading the way. Burrow knows he can't be an ordinary Joe against the Rams if he's going to bring the Bengals their first-ever Super Bowl. Very delayed global sports. All right, and I guess we'll do Super Bowl commercials. We sure will. Stick around. Sat Debris is next. Well, now I want chips. <laughs> they have some in the vending machine. Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much it costs, but if you need some money, I can lend you some. It's an effective ad, and we haven't even seen it yet. Yes, and this is how we will start Satellite Debris. These are commercials that are going to be shown in the Super Bowl this Sunday, and this one includes our very own Seth Rogen. <laughs> Nervous? Yeah. Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the one we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Ah! Remember when you bought your first house? Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. All right. Most of these commercials that they show on the Super Bowl are rather star-studded, like this one from Uber Eats. Wait. If it was delivered with Uber Eats, does that mean I can eat it? Oh, no. Oh, no. It says eat. It's a diaper. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's bad. Mm. This candle tastes funny. Mm-mm, Not bad, but funny. And thanks to Uber Eats, we don't even know what food is anymore. <coughs> this is your food. <laughs> we can't eat most of this. Yeah, we can't eat any of this. Why Uber Eats? Why Uber Eats? That bag's a liar. Yeah. I just got so excited. Ugh. Okay. Uh, two more. Actually, one's an old Super Bowl commercial, but the first one I'm about to show you, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I do believe Selma Hayek. So here we go. My fellow gods, the dark skies have spoken. It is time for Susan and I to retire. But where will you go? Zeus! Sorry, Zeus! I need a charge in the... Oh, thanks. Sweetheart, it's not rocket science. I'm heading out. Don't forget to take Peggy for a walk. Yo, Zeus. Ah, a little juice. That's it. I'm done with this place. We'll see about that. Everything okay out there, baby? Hey. Yeah. 
little Peggy, a little walk, huh? I figure you could use a little pick me up. All electric? All electric. The BMW iX. Electricity in its ultimate form. Electric Avenue. BMW, the ultimate electric driving machine. Introducing the M&M's chocolate bar. Someone uh, asked me today to say happy birthday to M.M. There to you M go. It all fits. Yeah. Okay. M.M. That's mysterious. It is mysterious. Hopefully an avocado commercial will come out this weekend. I, I hope so, too. Okay. And we'll show you next week. All right. More on Monday. Uh, Christy, weather for Super Bowl weekend. Oh, can we hear her? Well, it looks sunny. So that's good. Oh, and Monday's Valentine's Day. Yeah. Oh, Monday, the forecast is for hearts. Oh, yes. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for watching. <laughs>